invoke your mercy, we invoke your presence now. And so, Lord Jesus, as we call upon your name, visit us, be among us, dwell among us. You've never left. And now we ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We could all stand together, spend some time visiting, and uh, greet your neighbor. Yes, please. Thank you. That's just fine. No, no, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby. So um, the time to, to visit is um, not rushed. So you're all welcome to spend as long as you need to go around and make the rounds and say hello. A few quick announcements. Uh, if you look in your bulletin, the most important thing to talk about really brief in-house talk is our grand opening. Grand opening is coming up, oh, uh, I think in three weeks from now. Is that three or four? But April 5th is the first Sunday of April. It's Easter Sunday. And that's when we're going to have our grand opening. Um, there's going to be a bunch of things going on. So the staff, we are planning and working. Uh, we're going to have um, an Easter egg hunt for the little ones, bounce castle even. And uh, during the service, we're going to have a water baptism and an infant dedication. So this being our first, the first baptism um, of woven, it's going to take some, some logistical planning. Uh, we might do it outside. We'll see how that works. We'll need to get a tub. If you have any ideas, please speak with me. Um, and we'll also have an infant dedication during the service of our very own baby Luke. And there will be lunch that Sunday. Um, other things, in-house talk. If any of you have um, any avenues of marketing, if you're able to put this in your local um, community rag, or if you have any message boards, or I don't know, if you're able to put it into your company newsletter or something, um, please do. All the marketing, it helps. This is um, a special Sunday. Typically, in the last many years I've been here, um, it's always our biggest Sunday. So you can invite friends, family, coworkers. Um, if your parents are in town, invite them out. Relatives, um, neighbors, this is a great opportunity. Um, what else? I feel like there was something more I wanted to say about uh, Easter Sunday. It'll probably come to me on the way home. <laughs> okay, um, that's all I have for announcements for now. Um, today we are uh, on sign four. We've been talking through the Gospel of John. We find ourselves in John chapter six today. And for the last four weeks, we've been working through sections of the Gospel of John and looking at these miracles that Jesus have performed. This series is called The Seven Signs of Jesus. And we've looked at three signs so far. We find ourselves today at sign four. Some of our woven groups have been going through this as well. Just last night, my woven group um, talked about the fourth sign, which is this multiplication of bread for 5,000 people. Some of your woven groups 
You've been talking about sign three, um, sign two. And so sign four today, John chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. So if you look with me either in your bulletin or on the screen or in your, in your uh, Bible or personal device, I'll read those verses. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, even for everyone to receive just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, There's a, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So we're about to see something happen. We're about to see a sign take place. Um, not much bread, five loaves of bread, and, and it says two fish. And we're about to see the miracle of multiplication happen. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. In verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. He distributed the loaves to all those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish. So those five loaves and the two fish actually goes a very long way. And he gives as much as they wanted, it says. So it wasn't like everybody had a little tiny piece and somehow, I mean, this is the kind of thing I wondered in Sunday school. Did they manage to somehow break off very, very small pieces? Five loaves, a thousand pieces each. You know, we've done communion here. Imagine that. How small do the pieces have to be? And somehow they imagined that they were full. It doesn't say that. It says they gave them as much as they wanted. People came back for more maybe. They ate until they were. Not only that, in verse 12, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So the net gain, even after eating, and after consumption of the food was 12,000% more, whatever that might be. Therefore, verse 14, when the people saw the sign which Jesus had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and to take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. And as it says there at the beginning of verse 14, when the people saw this sign, once again, another indication that we have another sign. Another sign in the Gospel of John. And accompanied with the sign, what we see is some misunderstanding. It's as if God had come, Jesus had come into our midst and performed a miracle, and yet we... You know, like they say, we, um, 
You know, we were enamored with the gift, but not with the giver. So seeing this sign, they miss the point. A lot of misunderstanding. People see miracles from God all the time. God, if you'll get me out of this mess that I'm in, if you'll just get me out of this one, then I'll, whatever, I'll dedicate my firstborn to you or something. And then when push comes to shove, we don't really pull through. Um, this is yet another sign where the people are continually misunderstanding Jesus. And that's why we've kind of begun this series. So as to look at the signs and to see Jesus, to understand him in a clarifying way. Um, every week when we have our woven group, I, I have somebody share their testimony. Share about a sign that you've had in your life. Some kind of, whether God spoke to you or you had some kind of coincidental happening or whatever the case may be. But I don't want you to just share this story like, oh, you know, this great thing happened. I want you to share two things. Number one, I want you to share how did you learn about God's character? So something happened, something ex you experienced a miracle. What did it tell you about who God is? And as I've said, as I said last Sunday, miracles are never just for our benefit. They also have to show us something about who He is. It's for God's benefit. What did it show you about God? And secondly, how did it cause you to believe? Because these signs have this purpose, not just to give something a free, you know, a free handout to somebody, but to show them about who He is, A, and B, to cause them to believe. And many times, Jesus is 0 for 2. 0 for 2. Because number one, the people didn't get who he was. And secondly, they didn't believe. So the purpose of the series is to get us to not only see who God is through these happenings in our lives. We're talking about these signs, but we also want to think about the signs that God gives us. The things that happen to us. It has to show us, A, who God is, what his character is. And B, it also, has to show, it also has to lead us to belief, to trust. Not just believing, but to trusting. I see now that I can trust you with this part of my life. I see now that I can, I can have faith. I see now that maybe I don't have to worry about money so much. I see now that I don't have to worry about my kids or I don't have to worry about my career. I see now that I can trust you with my bread for tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And so that's what we want to do as we continue with this fourth sign. See if we can clarify who God is, clarify Jesus, and see if that will cause us to trust Him. To trust Him, especially especially with, with our needs, with this thing called felt needs. So today, um, I'm going to talk about three felt needs. And if you look in your bulletin, in the three holes punched in your bulletin, um, These felt needs, I'll, you can fill in the blanks along the way. Um, the first felt need is immediate or physical. You can write that down, immediate or physical. It's an immediate or a physical felt need. Um, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of attending a conference for anti-human tra anti -human trafficking, I should clarify anti-human trafficking conference that was hosted by Free the Captives. This was, this was downtown, and um, I actually sit on the board. I'm on the board of Free the Captives um, and wanted to check in and see how they're doing 
and also learn as we've been talking about starting our own CDO and whatnot. I wanted to see what measurable results they were making. They're doing some pretty fantastic work. Um, uh, it was a very interesting conference. There were, there were uh, district, at district attorneys there, DAs. There were vice, vice police there. There were you know, the vice squad. There were lawyers. There were numerous people with very large handlebar mustaches and, and firearms visibly. <laughs> Um, there were political people. I was very impressed. Um, the organization may not necessarily have grown in, in number or size, but in effect and reach, very effective. Um, you might have seen recently um, in the news there was a sting. There was a sting, and then the result was the result was uh, they published the faces of 20 perps um, who had solicited sex. Um, I think from minors. That, w that, was, that was a result of some of the push of Free the Captives on the political end to actually make sure that we have this, some of this shaming going on, so to speak, so as to reduce the demand. Now, I can't go at length to talk about that, um, but very, very um, real results, measurable results, good work. That's a roundabout way of, of saying something else. Um, there was another thing. That's not the main point. Um, that was the conference end. The, thing that I, 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 the reason I bring that up is because Free the, Cat, the, the conference was held at the Houston Food Bank. That's what I want to focus on. H how many of you have ever been to the food bank in Houston? It's just east of downtown. One, two, three. Haven't you been there, too? Yeah. Oh, you haven't been to that? Food bank, um, I've been to a couple of food banks around the country. This was like, I guess they really do make everything bigger in Texas. This was like the food bank um, super mall. Uh, everything was mechanized. And, um, you know, I've been to food banks where you just drop off the food and they have volunteers carrying them to separate bins. They had like a, an assembly line thing where, you know, peas over here, carrots and juice and milk and and uh, it was very, very impressive. It was this very complex, large operation, um, the purpose of which, and listen to this, because it pertains to our passage this morning, the purpose of which is to collect and distribute, or you might say redistribute, food where there is need. The purpose of which is to collect food and to distribute food where there is need. It sounds like what Jesus did, is it not? He collected, if he was the food bank, five loaves, two fish, and redistributed among 5,000. That's the difference. We, every state needs Jesus in their, in their food bank, right? Nobody would go hungry. But that's exactly the point. We'll come back to that. Man, if we had Jesus with us, nobody would go hungry. Man, if Jesus went to Woven Covenant Church, all of us would have a job. All of us would have a house. All of us would have whatever we needed, money to spare. All of us would have our needs taken care of. So if Jesus was just here, I'd sit down and he'd really kind of lead us to prosperity. We'd get a jet plane and everything. So that's what Jesus does. He collects and redistributes the food. Um, but I think he does more than that. 
The purpose of this talk today is to get us to think what is, what is really happening here. To see the bigger, underlying, more sub-level things because they are there. There's more. There's deeper things that are happening here. You can hear it in Jesus' question to Philip. Where are we going to buy bread so that these might eat? If you translate that, you can, you can say, where, where, where might we possibly buy bread, Philip, so that these people might possibly have bread to eat? It's a testing question. I mean, it's, it's, it says right after that, he said that in order to test him. So in other words, because he's testing Philip, what he's saying is there's more to this than just bread. There's more to this than just bread. The question is what? What is he trying to say? What are we talking about? When you look at this passage, what are the deeper messages? What do you think this passage is really about? I'll tell you what the passage is about. I really don't care. I don't care because right now, I'm hungry. My stomach is growling. So, okay, Jesus, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's so like Jesus, right? You're hungry? Let me ask you a question first and see if you can, let me test you. For, no, dude, just feed me. I'm hungry. I don't have time, nor do I have, grumpy, I'm hungry, stomach growling, grumpy. I don't want to, I don't want to play these mind games, Jesus. This is okay, okay. He feeds them. Because really, at the beginning, what is the first and most important felt need? It's physical. It's immediate. It's hunger. That's the first and immediate felt need. You can't really speak to somebody, uh, certainly about religious stuff. You know, let's have this existential conversation. You know, and this guy, uh, okay, I haven't had a bite to eat. So the first and most important need is physical because you can't talk to somebody if they're hungry. It's interesting. I'm not that hungry. Moth trying to climb into my mouth. Um, it's interesting that um, every Sunday we gather here and we preach a message. We preach a message. My assumption is we don't get many very hungry people here, being out in the suburbs. Um, <laughs> chances are you had a donut on the way in. If not, you ate. There's a challenge there. Can we be a church that not only meets spiritual needs but also physical hunger? That's why I think it's very pertinent in James chapter 2, verse 15. And this is in your notes. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? What good is it? For me to get up here Sunday after Sunday to talk all this high and mighty, highfalutin, you know, great concepts about how loving God is, and yet we're not able to care for the immediate felt needs of people. That's why in this day and age you have a lot of churches that don't just start churches, but they also start a food pantry, or they'll start some kind of a homeless outreach, or they'll start something or another. And it looks like we might be, we might be doing something like that as well. It's a chance to preach the whole gospel is what it is. Not just to talk and not just to talk about spiritual things which, okay, I'm hungry. It's also a chance to meet the immediate, the immediate felt need of hunger. 
So that's the first thing. That's the first need. And Jesus meets that. It's like, trick question. No time for trick questions. Okay, all right, all right. Multiply the food, feed them. Now are you willing to listen? It's further down in the passage. It's almost like Jesus is saying, now are you willing to listen? But still, they don't get it. So let's probe deeper and let's see if we can get it. Let's see if we can get it. Second, the second felt need. The second felt need that the people have. And I think this is where we start peeling back the layers and that we start seeing something here. The second felt need that the people have is political, social. I might even add to that nationalistic. Political, social, and national. It's the second felt need. I'll tell you a story that took place around the time this passage happened. There was a priest, a Jewish priest, who was mourning the fact that his people, his Jewish people, were no longer free, were no longer liberated because those barbarian Romans came down from Europe and they took over everything before the Romans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and basically us Jews have not lived as free people on our own land for generations. And oh, I long for the days as this good priest, he longs for the days when we can be free, drinking our own milk without paying tax on it to a foreign power. Since when should the federal government, the Romans, meddle in all of our affairs and tax us? Why should we pay to Caesar when we're making and eating the fruit and the produce of our own land. So one day, in a fit of just, you know, this, this political and this national rage and zeal, he walks down the street and he sees another Jew. It's one of those Greek-speaking Jews. He's not a, pru- a, a, not a pure Jew. That should speak Aramaic or Hebrew like us. That's one of those Americanized, right? One of those Greekified Jews. Where is he going? So he follows this guy and he sees him walk into the temple of a foreign god. And he sees a Jewish man about to make a sacrifice to a foreign god. And he says, I can't believe I'm watching this. This is why Israel is not, this is why we're not free. This is why God is angry at us. This is why we lost everything. So what does he do? He pulls out of his back pocket a shank. And nobody's looking. The priest does. This is a true story. Nobody's looking, and he comes up behind the guy. And as the guy bends down once more to offer the sacrifice, he plunges it into his stomach, cuts it open, and he kills the guy. That starts the Jewish wars, historically speaking. This is, that priest would have a son named Maccabeus. And that son would lead a great revolution that ultimately failed. A revolution against the Jews. I'm sorry, a revolution against the Romans where all the Jews gathered to fight the power, to overthrow the empire, and ultimately they would not succeed. The Romans were just too strong. The Maccabees were not the first to attempt this. There were others. There were others. Zealots. Let me see if I can... Check my notes again. Somewhere in there. I'm ad-libbing. The point is, 
I think it's very possible as Jesus performs this miracle and as the Jews see in verse 14, this is what we're looking for. This is what we needed. Forget paying taxes to Caesar. I'll pay taxes to him if it means all of us gets a house if it means all of us gets a job, if it means all of us will have bread for a lifetime, we want Jesus on our team. That's why it says they, made, they tried to make him king by force. They tried to make him king by force. Wouldn't it be great if we could make Jesus king by force of woven? And all of us here would never go hungry again would never be unemployed again, would never have any problems, everything and all would be right with the world. And what does Jesus do? Anybody remember? He runs away and he hides. Why? Why would he do that? I mean, dude, if you want to say you're God, you need a platform. If, you're, if you want to conquer the world with a gospel of love, for, shouldn't you start with a local base? Start with, a, at, you know, start with a platform. Here's your chance. This is your party. This is your ticket. But he refuses. It's very interesting. The needs of the people are political, social, and nationalistic, but he doesn't necessarily meet that need. Maybe he avoids it. Maybe he redefines it. He always talks about his kingdom being greater. So he meets the first need, which is hunger. But the second need, which is social, political, nationalistic, he challenges it. He challenges it. He challenges it. I can tell you, um, it's so interesting. I've, I've lived now here in Texas for four, over four years. Um, this, this past spring break week, went with my family to Austin. And on the last day, we visited the Capitol. I have aspirations that one day my children will become politicians or, <laughs> or pastors. Or, um, and um, we, were, we were walking around, and it was so informative. It was so interesting to see um, numerous things. Uh, there was... There was um, you know, there, there were familiar faces. You know, I saw Bush. Before that, is it Ann Richards? And who was before Bush? Governor. Ann something. Is there, is there not a true Texan in our midst here? Who was the governor before Bush? Come on. Ann who? Richards. Okay. See, I, you, I, I can get away with that. You guys can. Ann Richards... Um, did you know that Texas was one of the first, at least to my knowledge, they, they, they had a, a female governor going all the way back to the 1800s. I thought that was remarkable. I thought that was really progressive, really interesting. Um, all kinds of stuff. And then I got to see the House of Representatives and then the House of, um, uh, the, the, House of the, the Senate Chamber and, um, or the, the, represent, the Chamber of Representatives, Chamber of Senate, see how laws and all this stuff were going on and so watching the political process was very interesting I saw all the monuments civil war all kinds of stuff and I walked out with a sense of pride 
I did. The sense of identification as a Texan. That's not something that I would have said five years ago when I was living in the, the, the granola northwest. That was not something I would have said five years ago. Five years ago, I didn't even know I was going to end up in Texas. All to say, you change a lot depending on where you live. You might say, these are my, my views and my beliefs, and that is just, it's just reasonable. But the longer you live in a place and you, and you drink the water and you live in that context, you start doing things like buying guns and <laughs> going to rodeos and wearing cowboy boots. And, and you start to, it starts to make sense to you. Um, all to say that um, all to say that the, the varying views, the varying political views all across the country, and I'm not making a political statement here, Jesus had his chance to choose a platform right there. He had his chance. He had his party nomination. I know party nominations are going down right now. I know one candidate that's getting a lot of heat over email because, I mean, obviously, they don't want her to be the candidate. But he refuses the party nomination. It's interesting. I thought Jesus was this or Jesus was that but in refusing the party nomination I think what he's saying I think what he's saying is this is a need this is a need that not only will I not meet as you expect I will redefine in a more powerful way so he meets the first need which is immediate which is physical but the second need, which is political and social or national, he doesn't, he doesn't meet it as, as we expect. He surpasses it. Because in the end, we put our faith in the kingdom of God. But politicians will always be imperfect. Now, does that mean we should not be involved in the political process and that we should be like, I don't know, some of the religious communities that kind of you know, they, they live, they, you know, they, they don't get involved in the world's affairs. And should we all grow 12-inch long beards, the women as well, and just operate, you know, non-mechanical vehicles and stuff like that? Not be a part of, the, of, of society, the whoop and wharf of life. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think disengagement, even from the political process, is what it means. Um... Why do I say that? Because everything is political. Food distribution. Even food distribution is political. I can see the disciples. How should we distribute? We've got all, oh my gosh, Jesus has performed this great miracle. Food for 5,000 people? How should we distribute it? We should make it a free market. No, we should just make it a, we should just make it, you know, a an equal distribution for all. Disciples get into an argument. Even food distribution is political. Everything is political in life. I don't think we're supposed to get out of the process. I don't think we're supposed to not involve ourselves. But I do think that Jesus, his agenda is actually higher. His agenda um, by not, by withdrawing, his agenda is to present, present himself as a different kind of king. I'll say this last thing and then move on. You know, what is politics about but might makes right 
or as some politicians would say, right makes might. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. Right makes might. Some politicians like the emperor in Star Wars would say might makes right. Either way, with the kingdom of God, with Jesus' kingdom, his sword, his sword, it will pierce you where no sword can touch. That's, I think, what he's saying. The sword that Jesus uses will pierce you where no sword can ever go. It is compelling, not by might. It is compelling, not necessarily by right, but it is compelling, maybe by love, maybe by deeper things. So, we'll move on. So first, he meets this need that's immediate and physical. Second, they come up with this need. We have a need that's political and social. And Jesus says, but I'm not going to accept the nomination. There is a third need, and that's spiritual and eternal. Spiritual and eternal. And so Jesus meets the need, this third need, that is both of heart, of the deepest matters. I don't know if verse 26 to 33, 35 is in your bulletin. Is it? Okay. Do we have it on the screen? Oh, great. Thank you. I'm going to read this passage where Jesus redefines the bread, redefines what this is about. He says, hey, guys, this is not just political. Yes, it's about hunger, but now do I have your attention? So you've, ate, you've eaten. You've eaten. Now we can talk about deeper things. And he has a deeper conversation. In verse 26, Jesus says, look, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Okay, now that you're filled, in verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but work for the food which endures to eternal life. What in the world is he, okay, what is he talking about? What is this food that endures to eternal life? What does that mean? I'm even underlining that. That's a good question for meditation. What does it mean for me for the next seven days to work for food that does not rot or perish? What does it mean to work for food that gives somebody eternal life? How will I work for food that does that? And you see that clearly they don't get it either. Because in verse 28 they say, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? What shall we do so that we might do this work that you're talking about? I think in their mind you're talking about work. Are you saying you want us to get our Kalashnikovs and you want to teach us how to rebuild them with our eyes closed and a blindfold? Are you talking about the work of reestablishing our political system where we can once and once again become sovereign and, 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 and independent and free from the Romans and what work are we talking Are you talking about the work of establishing the nation, the work of revolution? What work? And Jesus says, the work that endures to eternal life. And what? what, who, what? And it's almost like they're talking past each other. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you a spoiler to the end of the story. Eventually, they abandon him. 
because his expectations or his standards of, of, of this bread thing turn out to be greater than they thought or different. So unfortunately, they never meet eye to eye. They continue to talk about something else. Jesus elaborates. In verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And then they said, what do you do for a sign so that you may see and believe, so that we may see and believe you? They're looking for another sign. Sometimes one sign is not enough. We're looking for more signs. We need, we need more proof as if once was not enough. So they look for another sign. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it, written, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. So he's talking about spiritual and eternal things. It's interesting that we're talking about Moses because what is this about? What was Moses about but revolution, but delivering his, his, his nation? And Jesus says, we're talking about somebody greater than Moses. In verse 33, the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Eat me. I am the bread of life. I am the answer. Either this guy is a complete narcissist or a megalomaniac or he's just, what is he talking about? Eating him. And that scandalized them. That, that was a big... I am the bread of life. And now as we, as we come to this point, I want you to think about that. What is the deepest hunger that you have? Maybe I'll rephrase that. What is the thing, the one thing that if you lost it today, you would come completely undone? What is the one thing that if you know tomorrow it would not be there, you would not be able to go to bed tonight? You would not be able to rest? What is that one thing? Just think. I know that when we were contemplating making the move out of the previous church context to plant this church for a stretch of a couple of months, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was worried. I was worried not just about this. I was worried if I would even have a job. I was worried about my future. I was worried about putting food on the table for my kids. I was worried about my own, my own self-esteem. What, what is this? Does this mean that I'm a failure? Or what is it? the deepest human needs that we have. What is that deepest human need that you bring? We could come to church Sunday after Sunday and Sunday and never poke that thing with a stick. We could get so much information up here and yet never really even touch that or come near that issue of trust and dependence, that one essential human need which bread is the most basic thing, but in many ways symbolizes the, 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 the most deepest need that we have. 
My deepest need is for validation. My deepest need is for provision. My deepest need is to know that daddy loved me. My deepest need is to know that I measure up. My deepest need is to know that I'm not a failure. My deepest need is to know, the list goes on and on. What is that deepest thing? When Jesus says, I am the bread, eat me, what he's talking about goes beyond political, goes even beyond food. Well, actually, in some ways it is food. But what he's saying is that deepest thing. Eat me. What he's saying is I am that hole, that, that, that peg, that round peg that will fit into the God-shaped hole in your heart. That's why discipleship is so much about so much about moving. It's not just about information, but it's about coaching another human being to the place where the clenched fist is gradually loosened. Gradually loosened. That clenching that fist tighter does not mean that you're getting more mature or growing deeper. But when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's a way of saying that clenched fist, let go and trust. Trust. There is one who will take care of your job. There is one who will take care of food tomorrow morning. There is one who will make sure your kids are fine. There is one who looks after them better than you ever can. There is one who will meet your needs. There is one that will tell you, no, you don't suck. Just sidetrack on that thing about self-pity. Like, I know from experience, you know, you allow yourself to binge on self-pity for two days, it'll take you two years to undo. That stuff messes your brain up, man. There is one who will tell you, you are loved. You're enough. Whatever your dad and mom said about you that made you feel like you were second or you were, you were, you were no good or you're worthless or you're two-bit creep, there is one that will tell you. There is one that will be the bread for your soul and that will tell you otherwise. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst this is the deepest level I think of what he's saying I want to invite you to consider that to consider your hunger and your need, your thirst. And if you want that, that hole to be filled, to come to Jesus. So in conclusion... In conclusion, Jesus does three things. He talks about, he meets three, three needs in today's passage. The first is immediate and physical, hunger. After that's met, 
a deeper question comes back. The second need is political and social. But Jesus says, it's a little bit bigger than that. The third need is spiritual and eternal. And he meets that need profoundly, the deepest needs that we have of the soul. In conclusion, I just want to share with you a story in closing. It's a story that's connected with these three needs. When we started Woven, I knew that we needed to be a church that would meet the spiritual and eternal needs, that would talk about these deep-level things. I love to talk about stuff like this. You know, not just concepts or doctrine or ideas, but I want to translate this to life. What does it mean for the person that has this, this, this deep wound in their soul? I want that deep wound to be healed. I want Jesus to come in and to shed light on all those deepest crevices of our hearts, right? And I want that message to be shared with more people and more populations. And when we started this church, it looked like this was going to become a reality. More populations, more numerous different kinds of people. It wasn't just a Korean thing anymore. It was wonderful. Somewhere along the way, weird things started happening. <laughs> Good things. Miraculous things. I don't need to go into all of them. Um, I got to hold a couple of babies this week which was good for my soul. It was a reminder of the miracle. Jesus not only met a spiritual need, but he was able, he was able in the beginning to meet a physical need as well. And that gets me thinking. As we share the gospel, as we share the gospel, Sunday after Sunday, is it possible that not only are we talking about spiritual and eternal needs, but also immediate and physical needs? Is it possible that we could have a footprint or a fingerprint in the city of Houston that is larger than we realized? Whether the grant comes or not, whether we do this or not, I'm not panicking. I'm not like, we got to make this happen. Let's see what God does. It's on God's timeline, not mine, not even ours, not even the task force. But in the end, we are reminded that the gospel has to both be spiritual, it also has to be immediate and physical. That the whole gospel is not just the message of life, but also, as James says, clothing, feeding, um, the message of the gospel that meets the immediate need but can also put its finger on the deepest needs of the heart. I think it's a good reflection as we conclude this fourth sign, multiplying the bread for 5,000 people. Jesus touching the deepest needs but also meeting immediate and physical needs. Last word, I'm stretching this out. Do you remember when we were going through the book of Acts in the Jerusalem Council? And they released the Gentile Christians. I believe 
if I stand corrected, I believe one of their last words, just don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. That does ring in my ears, especially as we live in the suburbs, most of us or some of us. Don't forget the poor. You might have your life all together, but what about your neighbor? Who's my neighbor? There's the discussion right there. Don't forget the poor. That's an important charge for all of us to remember. Let's pray.